this is what God has placed in my heart and I want to share with you uh, because I see this as being our reality. This is where we are. This is where we stand. And this is what God has, in fact, given us as gifts, as gifts. And we're saying a gift, you are part of that gift. In fact, I call this message the treasures among us. Uh, the treasures among us, how we uh, receive the gift of God are the gifts from the Lord, but then we become the gift. It says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, or in other words, vessels of clay, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Then it goes through the experiences. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may manifest in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. This is a very profound scripture. I'm telling you, I've read it many times, preached from it many times, but God has given me some insight concerning this scripture that I had not seen before. And if you look at how he looks at us, how we are his treasury, and how we, he says that we have this treasure in earthen vessel, God has resourced us with something that's very valuable. God has resourced us with something very valuable. And let me tell you something, and that which is very valuable resides within you. The resources, we are resourced because the resources that God has given resides within you. It resides within us. We're talking, we're talking to those of you that are saints. Now, I'm going to talk about all of this as we continue in this particular message. We're talking about the collective treasury how God has so joined us together as one, and as a result of being one, now we are able to manifest something that otherwise would not be manifested. And I love the way the scripture puts it. He says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. He said, because the objective is that the excellence of the power, the excellence of the power may be of God and not of God. Us. Now, listen to what he's saying here. He says, we have, you have, corporately, collectively, we have this treasure. And I like one translation says, in vessels of clay, clay pots, very, I would say, very uh, delicate, because that's evidence, even in the fact that we carry within our bodies the potential of uh, of, of 
receiving or, or contracting all kinds of sicknesses and diseases and infirmities. Just think about how, how fragile this body is. Somebody get a cold, and then that cold can turn to pneumonia, and, 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 and something that could be, you, something very small and insignificant can turn to something very great and even become fatal. But he says, but something is important concerning the vessel is that we carry something that cannot be destroyed easily or destroyed at all. He says, we carry within these fragile vessels a treasury. He said, but the reason that we look at it this way is so that we'll always recognize when the Bible says excellence, it talks about the objective, it talks about the purpose, it talks about the fulfillment of that which God has given us. What purpose was it given and what purpose must it serve? That's what we talk about excellence. When it comes to excellence, we see it, it is perfected. It is at a place where by now it is given full expression. He says, the excellence of the power may be of God. And we always remember that we, in and of ourselves, are merely vessels of clay. It's not of us. And then it talks about the experience. He says, now there are things we experience in life. Now, don't think that those things we experience is because God is against us or that we've done something wrong, that we're out of the will of God or any of those kinds of things. But let me tell you something. Everybody is going to go through something. Everybody. Either you have gone through something, you're going through something, or you will go through something. He says, but then Paul talks about his experience. He says, look at what, and, and he didn't say, I am, but he says collectively, corporately, he said, this is our experience. We are hard pressed. And then that's enough, but he says, on every side. Front, back, left, right, every side. We uh, uh, understand the pressure that comes against us comes from every side, no, no position is exempt from pressure coming against us. He said, but with all that pressure, you're not crushed. It doesn't, why? Because the value of the deposit, the value of that which God has imparted within us preserves us, not from the pressure, but in the midst of the pressure. He says, so now look at what happens. He said, so we are, we are not crushed, but not only that, we are perplexed because we can't figure out what's happening. We are at a place sometimes in this state of bewilderment, he said, but not in despair. We never lose hope. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Persecuted, but not left alone, not having to deal with things on our own. We're struck down. Oh, I thought saints always were on the up and up, but there are times when you're stricken down, times when you look like the enemy is winning, he says. But even then, he said, not even one of the hairs on your head is lost. He said, even though death comes your way, nothing is destroyed. You know, when you burn something, it, it just breaks down the molecular structure of that which existed. It turns into a different form. 
But the Lord is telling you that the devil, the enemy can't destroy you because you, you see, you transcend any and everything that he may bring your way. He says, and then he says, you're always carrying about where? In your body, the dying. That's what Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. You're carrying about in your body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and since we're dying daily, we're dying to ourselves. We, we understand the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. You see, even as we grow older, we're caring about the dying of the Lord Jesus. See, in other words, the older you get, the better you ought to become. You see, you ought, you ought to be closer to the Lord as you grow older than you were when you first started this journey. He says, so, so some people just get old, but don't just get old. Get better. <laughs> he says, so that you're carrying the dying of the Lord Jesus. He said, that, listen to this, as you die, that the life of Jesus also may manifest in your body. So that people that see you see more of Jesus Christ in you than they saw when you first began the journey. Is that making sense to you? He says, because, he says, and then he goes on. I said, now, Paul, that's enough. That's enough. Let's stop right there. That's enough. Now, you're putting too much on me. But then Paul didn't leave it there. This is hope for you. He says, for we who live are always delivered. Wait a minute now. We are delivered to death for Jesus' sake. When he says he delivered, he delivered us from sin. He delivered us from the power of the devil. He delivered us from certain things. But now he is saying he delivered us. Uh, he delivered us to death for Jesus' sake because are made conformable to his death so that if by any means we may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So in that, he is saying that he has delivered us into, unto death. He says, so now the things that used to bother us, doesn't bother us the same way. The things that used to disturb us, doesn't disturb us. They, yes, they disturb us, but we can see beyond the disturbances. He said, we delivered on death for Jesus' sake. And, and, and here's what happens. Let me tell you, there's something out of me that I don't have any knowledge that exists. I don't even have a knowledge that exists. See, what is God working out of me? What is God trying to get? He's trying to deliver me from when I go through whatever I'm going through. He says, I'm trying to get you to the place because his objective is to perfect us because we are people that's going to a perfect place. And in order to get to a perfect place, somewhere down the line, you see, God is giving us a glimpse of his glory as he perfects us. Neither am I perfect, what Paul says. He says, not that I have attained, neither am I perfect. He says, so we're not perfected here, but our goal, our sight, our aim must be set on perfection. He said, Lord, I want to be the way you'd like for me to ultimately become. He says, so if that's your goal, that's your striving, then what happens, you're dissatisfied even with the things that reside within your bodies. He says, so now, look what he says, so now we, we, we're, we're, we're at a place where we want the life of Christ to manifest in our mortal bodies before we die so that they see more of Christ in us than they saw when we first started. He says, so death is working in us, but life, the life of Christ is working in you. It was really, I think it was, I always quote Dr. Ray Anderson from Fuller Theological Seminary said something. He's not with the Lord too. He said, uh, you're, not, you're not a Christian because you say 
that you're a Christian. I, I thought, he said, you're not a Christian because you say. He said, you are a Christian because people see Christ in you. Did you hear? He said, when they see Christ in you, that provides the evidence. And oftentimes, you don't see as much as others see about you. Because what happens, if you saw it, you may get into pride. You may start wanting to brag about your righteousness. But, but understand, the position of a true saint is always one, as Paul would say, I have not yet attained. I've not yet, I'm not perfect yet. And he talks about himself as being the chief of sinners. Lord, there's so much work yet to be done in me. I was, I, I, I've seen that among people who are submitted to the Lord and committed. And I want to be this way too. When you're always looking at yourself and examining yourself and say, Lord, this thing in me, I despise this thing that I see in me. And desire, I desire for you to work this out of me so that I can become all that you would have me to be. So now, let's look at this. Let's go a little deeper as we look at how God has resourced us. He calls us treasures. He calls what we contain treasures. We have within us a treasury, that which God has deposited within us, and it's collective. Your, listen to this now. Your value is determined by who you are related to and how you are related. Did you hear what I said? Your value is really predicated upon and determined by who you are related to and how you are related. Now, now that's going to make sense if you think about it. How were you before you came to know the Lord? Dead in trespasses and sin. You see, you were children of wrath. In other words, the wrath of God was directed towards you. In other words, that you were an enemy to God. Enmity resided within you. You hated God even though you didn't know it because you didn't know him. But the thing that you despise the most is that which God provided or who God is and what God is all about. He says, so you were haters of God because you wanted to have your way. You wanted you see, the thing that stood between you and the things you wanted to do that were sinful was a God who is righteous. He says, so now when we think about it, this is where we were. He says, but now we're related to him and we are no longer our own. We belong to him. So that's first and foremost. So we became, we became a different person. The Bible says any man be in Christ, new creation. You became someone that you weren't beforehand as a result of relationship. And then he brings you into relationship with others. He brings us into relationship with others. Now, now uh, you got to look at the significance of this. Look at how significant. He brings you to himself. You're joined to the Lord, and he doesn't just leave you at a place where you join to the Lord. Then he connects you with other people. He says, so now your significance is based upon your connections. No, the world, they try to do it. They try to do it this way. They said, well, if you want to make it big, you want to, you want to be successful in life, then you've got, you got to make connections with people that are successful. But let me tell you something. That's a waste because all of those things will be burned one day. But when we relate it to God, then we pray to the Lord as to who we ought to be rightly related to. He puts us, he joins us to a people. He brings us into a family. The family of God. He, you see, so church attendance is not just the place that you choose to go and, and, and your preferences based upon your likes and dislikes. 
But the Lord says, I know what you need. And I'm going to bring people into your life that may rub you the wrong way, that may get into your business, may say some things that you don't want to hear. But they said they're there for a reason. They're there because God says the objective is to perfect you. He said, so everything that's happening, even those things you don't understand, is a part of your being perfected. You're being perfected. The, 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 the smoothing out the rough edges that's what God is doing. So now, look at what he's saying. So then the objective of God is we look at the fact, the relationships, and he didn't say I, but he says we are. We are. The corporate body. We own it as a result of being together. It is ours. You see, stop talking this stuff about me, my, I. We are. Uh, don't talk about this church. Uh, uh, Y'all, this church is such and such. Y'all doing that. No, we are. When we own it, we speak corporately, collectively. We need to do something about what's going on. See, see and, and, and what I think it was Dr. Earl Johnson said, when you get to the place whereby you see something that's not right, say, this church needs to be this, the Lord is saying, I need to be, I need to contribute, I need to Engage, be engaged in a particular thing because when God places that burden upon your heart, he is calling you to be a participant in bringing correction to the things that beforehand disturb you. Some people jump ship because they're, they're disgusted. And you say, well, people aren't friendly enough. Well, I need to be more friendly. I need to be friendlier. I need to make connections. I need to make some calls. Nobody called me. God called me to be one to call others to make sure that they are well because I felt neglected. I felt betrayed. I need to be an instrument of God to make sure that those betrayals are not taking place. You see what God is doing? He's calling you based upon how you perceive those things that have happened to you that appear to be working against you, but they're really working in your favor because God is positioning you to participate in a larger, for a larger purpose. He says, so now, look what he's saying. Who, who can help? Uh, some of the, you that, that, whose husbands or wives have gone to be with the Lord. I praise God for you that have, you've gotten together and you became a ministry to other grieving uh, widows and widowers. You see that uh, we get to the place, you say, well, what's happening to this group, that group, or the other? There have been people within this church that didn't just complain about what was going on, but they got busy so that they could provide whatever was necessary based upon how they perceived the problem to be. Now, let's look at this. Let's look at this. This is what he's saying. That's body. That's the body. The collective, we, the corporate body, we own it. We own it. Uh, and as a result, and we own it as a result of being together. It's displayed, or and then it is displayed, and it becomes manifest, you see, because that's what the Scripture says. As we take ownership of it, then the life of Jesus Christ is manifested in our mortal bodies. He began to manifest his life through those that would have if they would have been outside of the will of God, complainers. But now the life of Jesus Christ is manifest in their martyr bodies because they, what they did, they took what would have been a problem, and you see, and they took it through process of the cross, and now it came out differently. They said, no, 
See, God is calling me. And now what happens, the other people say, what I like about, you say, ain't no love there. What I like about this place is it's full of love. You see, because, you see, the person that said no love now is displaying greater measures of love. Whatever the issue is, when you take that kind of attitude, then you become a participant rather than a spectator when it comes to ministry. We, we say here that we want every member to be actively engaged in ministry, and that cuts down a lot of complaining, a lot of belly aching, and you see, because everybody then is involved in ministry. Now, look at this. Am I, am I talking okay? You, you're still with me? Okay. Now, our idea, our idea of togetherness might not necessarily be God's idea of togetherness. You see, we may think we're together, but God hadn't said we're together yet. You see, you see, our idea for togetherness because our perception, what does it mean? What does it mean to be together? What does it mean to be together? What does it mean? You see, as based upon, as you begin to reflect upon your history, you begin to think about your connections in the past, oftentimes that's your reference of togetherness. And oftentimes that's the very thing that's standing in the way because you've already said in your heart and mind, you've been watching too many romance novels, you've read too many stories, you've been involved in too many fake and phony relationships. You see, you, 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 you've, got, you, you see you, you've gotten to a place, many people have gotten to a place whereby they begin to, because they were part of some college fraternity or sorority or whatever, they begin to say, now we are together, we are together. But can that really, can the rubber really uh, meet the road when the challenges are greater than you thought they could possibly become? So the greater connection must be among the people of God. I'm not saying we don't have other connections, but the greater connection must be within the church, within the family of God, and allow that relationship to be the one to perfect you first and foremost. And any other thing must be intermediaries. It's underneath that kind of connection. Let's go on now, because we understand God's idea of, of, of uh, togetherness is different from the world's idea of togetherness, because the Scripture says that you may be perfectly joined together. When he talks about perfectly joined together, he says, I am placing you in a situation and an environment where you fit perfectly together. And, and understand, because I'm building something out of you as raw material, I'm building, a house, I'm building a house for my spirit to dwell in. And you see, and these rooms must be as I would have them to be, not the way you like them to be. The biggest sin when it comes to this kind of activity is a sin of presumption. It's when you, it's called presumption with sins, is when you try to figure it out on your own and you do a, you, you do a, 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 a you, you, you do it yourself type church. You build things as you would like for them to be yourself. You know, I used to, I used to think when I was in first grade, I was an artist. I thought I was an artist because we had, we had dots and numbers. Did you, you remember those? We had dots and numbers. And, 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 and I, I, used to, I used to trace from one to two to three, four, and, and a figure would show up after I'd, trace, after I'd take all those dots and those numbers, and a figure showed up. And then I would go in, I said, look, man, I'm ready. I'm ready. I can put this on display. I can sell this stuff <laughs> because I'm an artist. I'm an artist now, you see, because I can, I can put together figures. I can put together faces. I can do all kinds of stuff. But, but you know what happens? Uh, uh, it was saying we're connecting the dots 
because we're following some kind of formula, some kind of system that's already established. But then to be perfectly joined, there's a flow that takes place. There is a, you see, there is creativity, creativity that's expressed that's much different than those that just follow the dots. He says, I want you to be together. The Scripture says in Isaiah, I want you to be together, perfectly joined together, so that you can flow together. That you can flow together. There is a flow that God expects to take place within us. You see, that's what happens. So that you don't have to, you have to negotiate everything. You don't have to always, you see, that cuts out a lot of the fighting and arguments and, and, and the disputes that take place is when we can flow together. When we're perfectly joined together, there's a, there's a flow that occurs. So, so when, when the flow is disrupted, it's time for self-examination. It's time to look at yourself. Why aren't we flowing together? Maybe there's something that God is wanting to perfect in me that's hindering the flow. What vision, what direction has God given? Why am I having such a hard time in moving in that direction? Maybe there's something God is trying to get across uh, in this. You see, the presumptuous sin is when you think you already know. The Bible says, I always quote it, when we think we know, we know nothing as we ought. We know nothing as we ought. So that becomes, you see, our thoughts of perfection becomes the enemy to God's, the God's perfection. Uh, I think of it this way. Uh, I have a radio in my car, uh, XM, XM satellite. You know about those XM satellites. I can go anywhere in the country, and I can get the same station. I put it on when I'm traveling because what happens, I, I'm listening to something, and I don't want to lose signal when I get out of range. You see, I get out of range, I lose signal, and therefore I can't pick up the signal because I've, I've left this state or this city, and it starts start getting fuzzy even in parts of metro Atlanta. But, but my XM station, when I put it on, I can leave the state, go wherever I want to go, and that signal remains as strong because that signal is not coming from the same tower <coughs> that my AM analog radio station was relying upon. You see, my AM analog station, you got to be close to the tower <laughs> in order to get a signal, aren't you? You get away from that tower, then you're going to lose your signal. So, so, so what happens, I, I begin to look at it, <clears throat> and I begin to think about it. That's what happens. You see, the Lord's signal is not based upon some tower that has been erected so that that becomes the thing that governs our lives. But we get a signal from heaven when God says something. It works anywhere and everywhere. We pick up on things and we stay in focus. Are you still with me? <coughs> so the axiom. So now... I would say to you, ask questions rather than presupposing that you already know and that you already have the answer. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. <clears throat> you know, I, this way, you need to have more questions and answers. You need to have more questions and answers. If you have more answers and questions, then you're the smartest person on your block, the smartest person in your family. You're the smartest person in your neighborhood. You're the smartest person in the church then that's a problem. You need to be at a place where you're being challenged. 
you see. Or you need to understand that you are being challenged because your wisdom and your thoughts, your knowledge of yourself is standing in the way of you really receiving good spiritual knowledge that God would have you to receive. So ask more questions. Now, now the scripture says, I want to get back into that particular scripture because it's so profound. He talks about the, the power, uh, all the experiences that we go through. And uh, if you go further, and I'm going to share some scriptures to show you how we handle these things because we have this treasure. We have this treasure. The weightiness of that treasure, the weightiness of that treasure is greater than the weightiness of the vessel. The weightiness, the weightiness of the treasure is greater than the weightiness of the vessel that carries it. In other words, we carry something that's heavy. Are you hearing me? See, and once we come to realize that we're carrying something heavy, in other words, you're heavyweights when you have the Spirit of Christ within you. Not mentally, but you're carrying something heavy on the inside. It's heavy, it's heavy. And that heaviness within uh, actually brings you to a whole new place. He says, then when we understand the weight of the gospel, the weight of the word of God, the, the, the weight of the impartation of his spirit, th then and only then can we qualify to speak with conviction concerning that which we possess. You can't even talk about it unless you come to understand the weightiness, the weightiness of it all. See, some people like to light, lighten it up, make it, you see, make it light, make it light and, and, and fun, you see, so that, you know, you're taking this thing too serious. No, your problem is serious. Your issues are deep. So, therefore, you need something that's deep. You don't need surface stuff. We had a good time because we shouted and hollered and had a, no, you need something that's deep. You need something that can stabilize you, something that can secure you for this particular journey. So now, look at what we're talking about as we begin to look at the weightiness of it all. Then we understand that we are preserved by what we carry. God has given us and has made available to us more than we realize. Now, the weightiness of it all, this is what the Lord calls them. He calls the people, I used to call them uh, believers, it's all the weightiness of believer, uh, the, but the reality of God's deposit he deposits his deposit within the saints. Listen to my words now. He deposits what he deposits within the saints. I, I use the word saints rather than believer because I used to say it is the deposit among the believer. But understand, believing is not enough. To be a believer will leave you out there hanging because the devil believes, but he takes it a little further than most people take it. He trembles. So, so to say that you're a believer, you ain't said that much yet. I'm glad you are a believer. But there's a step beyond that. Because I believe. And now I apply that which I believe. See, that he doesn't do that when I apply that which I believe. I live up to the standard. I mean, I commit my heart and life to that which I believe. Because I can believe. Do you believe? Do you believe? It's one, one, one. I heard this many years ago. There was one person that was walking. Uh, he was known to walk a tightrope across the Niagara Fall. You heard that story? I know y'all heard me say it many times. But he, <laughs> he, he was walking a tightrope across the Niagara Fall with a wheelbarrow. 
And what he did, he just walked around and said, Niagara Falls with the wheelbarrow. And then he said, do you believe I can do it again? He said, well, I saw you. You walked across the Niagara Falls uh, tightrope with a wheelbarrow. Yeah, I believe you do it again. He said, do you really believe I can do it again? Yeah, I believe. He said, do something then. Get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> <laughs> you see, that put it in a whole different category. I believe that you can do it. <laughs> Lord, I believe, I believe that you can do all things. <laughs> Lord says, but what kind of commitment are you willing to make based on what you profess that you believe? So now, uh, it's more than believing. It's more than believing. But he brings us a place where we become saints. Saints are not dead Catholics who did great things, but saints are believers who have committed their heart and lives to Christ and lived the life of Christ, living the life of Christ. You don't have to become a saint when you die. You better become a saint before you die. Here's something else. A saint must be a believer, but a believer doesn't necessarily mean that he or she is a saint, but he wants us to be a saint that believes. So I'll be a look at some things that contribute to that. What will bring us to that place? One, uh, God's word must be proclaimed. It must be the right proper, the Bible says rightly dividing the word of truth. We must speak the word as God intends the word to be proclaimed. Now again, we mentioned speaking in such a way that it is out of the resources, out of the overflow of our hearts, out of the overflow of our hearts. Now, if the right thing is not within your heart, then you cannot speak from the overflow. You, you see, the, I, I am never without a message because I don't speak merely what I know. I speak from the overflow of my heart. Are you hearing me? Out of the overflow of my heart. In other words, what is in me? I can't tell you all that I have experienced and all that I am perceiving from the Lord, but I can tell you that which overflows in abundance, apparently those are the things that God want me to share with others. So, so you see, the Word of God must be proclaimed, number one. He proclaims His Word. Number two, number two, there has to be a conviction of the heart. Uh, uh, conviction of the heart. Conviction of the heart. We're talking about conviction of the heart that you see yourself as a result of the word being proclaimed. What do you see of yourself? Once the word is going forth, how much of you do you see in the picture? You see, I know you saw them, but how much of yourself do you see in the picture? So the conviction of the heart, we, they were pricked in their hearts. You see, they were convicted within their hearts once the word. Now, this day they're trying to easy believism and, and, and I would say the hyper grace. Those that don't understand grace, they try to get rid of that. But conviction must always take place, even after you're saved. It wasn't that you were convicted once, but we are convicted whenever the Word of God goes forth because God shows us things that we didn't see beforehand. So now conviction takes place. We are convicted within the heart. Our hearts are, are, are pricked. You say, and they begin to say, now, Lord, men and brethren, what must we do? Give us further instructions. 
give us further instructions. Once the conviction has taken place, we're postured to receive the Word. Now, now, let me tell you something. I praise God for you that's here and those that's watching because the reason you came back is because apparently something had been said beforehand that convicted you and you were postured to receive further instructions. But those that were not convicted, I got mine. I can just go on and, and, and do whatever I please with what I have. That's the person that's half-cocked. A person that just get a little word and then they run. You see, you, I always talk about when I, t uh, Brother Steve, when I call myself, tell you, he's a he's a black belt. But I I, I took a little karate too, <laughs> and, and and I didn't learn much. I I I didn't learn a whole lot. But I, but I learned enough to, to to get to hurt myself or or, <laughs> or or to hurt somebody. You you see, because you don't just learn how to how to punch. You got to learn how to hold back certain things. I, is that right? You got to learn how not to kill the opponent. All I do is I got it. I got it. I got it. So <laughs> so I jumped out. You see. So 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 uh, uh, the 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 point is is that we got to be very careful that we're not half cocked, because we get a little knowledge and then we take that little knowledge because the little knowledge cause more problems, you see. It, 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 it causes more problems in our lives because we think we, we know something and we jump out there and hurt ourselves with a little knowledge. That's what people do. They get a little word and they get one scripture and they're going to try to bake their, bank their whole lives upon one scripture but not understand the whole counsel of God's word, you see. So now, a conviction of the heart where God reveals things, then there has to be repentance of sin. Repentance of sin. Now, Lord, I repent. That word repentance means I turn away from my ways and I turn in your direction. Lord, now I turn. I turn. I turn away from that. In other words, I now renounce the thing that I used to treasure, the, the way I used to be, the things that I had banked my life upon, I turn away from that now, and I turn to you. Now, understand, that's getting ready for the journey, because I don't know where God's going to take me, but I'm waiting further instructions. That's what repentance. When I turn to the Lord, I can't figure out what to do, where to go. But I'm postured now to hear what God has to say. That's when you come back to church. You come back to church because you're saying, now, Lord, I need more. I need further instructions. Now, watch what happens. Then you are converted. Then conversion occurs. You see, he said, I thought conversion was the thing that got me here. No, no. Conversion only takes place when these particular things are in place. He says, now when you turn and be converted, because you see, the turning is on your part, but the conversion is on his part. God cannot convert those who do not turn in his direction. If you never turn in his direction, you can never be converted. I don't care how many times you come to church. In fact, church is going to harden your heart for the most part because when you think that you're converted, and you, then you feel that you don't ever need to be converted. So some of the hardest folk in the world to reach are church folk. People who've been churched to death. And I know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> they're church to death but God wants people to be converted that's a change 
That's the change that occurs. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. You cross the threshold of death into life. You step into a new life. Your old life that you were living is not the life that you're living now, but you have stepped into a whole new adventure. God is getting ready to show you something that you had never seen before. The Word of God is going to start making sense to you. Whereas beforehand, you said, that's too deep, that's too heavy. But your problems are deep, so you need a deep word to deal with your deep problem. <laughs> New identity, what is that? You're a saint. You're a saint. Well, I'm not perfect yet. No, I know it, but you're still a saint. Now I'm going to teach you how to live up to the name or to your new identity. You got to learn how to live this new life that you now have in Christ. You don't know how to live it, but you need to be instructed. But you have the potential because you have this treasury in earthen vessels. You have the capacity to live the life of Jesus Christ, whereas beforehand you didn't even have it. But know, as the Scripture said, you're not your own because it costs something to get you here. You were bought or purchased with a price. So therefore, glorify the Lord in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You belong to Him. When you're converted and you become a saint, this word saint means you are set apart for God's exclusive use. You are His now. He is yours, and you're his. You belong to him. You don't belong to you any longer. You belong to him. So now, let's look a little deeper in this. As we begin to look at what God has done and what God is doing, this is what he's done. Saints now, I'm talking to, now I got you to, to becoming a saint. Those now understand the steps from where you were to where you become a saint, not just a believer. Now you become a saint who believes. You are a believer, but you're a saint because you've been converted. You're a converted believer, not like the devil who believes and trembles because he won't get in the wheelbarrow, but you got in the wheelbarrow now. You trust God with your life. Now, look at this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a gift. What is a gift? Something that's given, that's not earned. Now that you received a gift, he says, now minister it to one another as good stewards. That's your oversight. Uh, it, it has to do with as economic economy as a good steward. Economos, I think it is, some of my Greek scholars is what it is. What it says, you are now a, a distributor of the grace of God. He says, so now we want you to minister as a good steward, as good stewards, of the many-faceted or manifold grace of God. When he says manifold grace of God, he is saying that it is his grace. I always use this. You've been around here. You hear me say it. It is like pure light that shines in darkness. But when that pure light shines, it appears to be the same color. It looks like it's just white light. It's the power of God. It's the strength of God. It, 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 it is so overwhelming that when it shines in your direction, it's overwhelming. But it goes through the prism of your life. It goes, it is, the, it is the light of God, it is the glory of God, but it goes through the prism of your life. What does a prism do? A diamond. A diamond divides 
the light. So when the light shines through your life, now you see red, blue, yellow, all the colors of the rainbow. So now we talks about the manifold grace of God, the various applications of his grace so that you don't put grace in one, one category alone. You don't just get to place where this is the grace of God. But now you understand how the grace of God is to be applied to various situations. You see, you need grace to operate in whatever capacity God has called you to operate in. Whatever your calling is, you need the grace of God to be effective. But it has to pass through your prison, the prison of your life. So he brings whatever he has through you, and then you bring it to the people that God has called you to minister to. In other words, listen to this now. As you're hearing this message today, I can't just go out in the street and talk to Joe Blow on the street about what I'm talking to you about. Let's see, I'm going to go out here. And I'm going to grab somebody. I'm going to go, I'm going to, go to Stonecrest Mall, and I'm going to grab this fella who, who may be smoking a joint. And I'm going to put him aside, and I'm going to say, I want you to know about the manifold grace of God. I want you to know that, that, that conversion is such and such, and, and that God's will is to, is, is to transform you and become a new creature in Christ. All things. He look at you like, uh, Bishop Thomas said, like a cow looking at a new gate. What in the world are you talking about? But listen to what I'm saying here. But when it passes through you, that which you have received from the message that I'm preaching to you today, when it passes through your life and you share your life with the person you're talking to, then you, it's relatable. It's relatable. You, see, you say, I used to be such and such and such, but this is what God has, did, has done in my life. You see, it's relatable. And when it becomes relatable, now it's attractive enough to draw an individual that otherwise might come. But as he grows in the things of God, then he comes to the place of gaining a deeper level of comprehension, and then you bring him to church. He said, man, if you brought me in here uh, a, a few weeks ago, I would have known what you were talking about. But now the thing that used to didn't make sense has become sensible to me. You know why? Because something happened in the vessel. Conversion occurred. And it is out of that conversion that the message that God has to deliver to his saints becomes sensible. My sheep, what? Hear my voice. And a stranger, they're not follow. So you have a new identity. So you receive this. He says, so now, watch what it says here. He said, you're stewards of the manifold grace of God. This is still 1 Peter 4.10. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. Speak, in other words, you speak what God would have you to speak. You say what God would have you to say. But then, don't just speak now. Don't just be at a place where you're just a talking head. But if you minister, now minister has to do with extending your soul to the individual, not just speech, giving speeches. He said, if you minister, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. And don't ever think that you didn't have the supply because it's hidden where? In earthen vessels, so that the sufficiency is not of you, but it's of God. So you have what the world needs. So now minister with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom 
belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we can go into that deep, too, but I'm not because I want to say a few other things here before we close. But you see what he's saying? God gives the ability. God gives the ability. You're being equipped through the Word of God so that you go out there and make a difference in the lives of others. Look at sanctification again. Sanctification. How are we sanctified? Jesus dealt with that in his, uh, this is really the Lord's Prayer. 17th chapter of uh, John is really the Lord's. We think that uh, the other, our Father which art in heaven. No, that was a model prayer. His, the Lord's Prayer was 17th chapter of uh, John. But he said something in the 17th verse. He says, this is what he says, sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth. Why do you have to say your truth? <laughs> sanctify them by your truth. He said, because there's a whole lot of stuff that's masquerading as truth. That's not truth. That's not true. He said, but sanctify them, set them apart for your exclusive use by your truth. Your truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, he says, I sanctify myself. I set myself apart that they may be sanctified by the truth. Then he used the, the general, the truth, specific, by the truth. He says, now, I sanctify them by your truth, he says, so that your truth will become the truth to them. That's what he's saying. So I sanctify myself. He says, so Christ says, he's saying in essence, that I sanctify myself so that your truth will become the truth to them. Because beforehand, your truth was not the truth. Your truth was, I mean, their truth was a truth, and everybody lived according to their own truth. But now there is the truth compared to your truth, or their truth, because your truth is the truth, and that never changes. So now, uh, uh, sanctification, I want to do this, uh, help you understand some of my sanctification here. Acts chapter 20 and verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, you saw that already, the word of his grace, which we talked about, is divided so that it can be applied to various situations. He says, which is able to build you up. <laughs> that word of his grace is able to build you up. So we're, we're saying that as you receive the word, you're being, you're being equipped, you're being, your life is being erected, your life is becoming mean, meaningful because you're being built up. You're being built up. The Bible talks about edification, edifying one another, building up. Every joint supplying the other joint. That's what he's saying. He's building you up. Let me tell you this. If you keep giving, 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 giving to others, eventually you're going to run out of material to give. That called that burnout. I'm doing, 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 and I'm not getting anything. You need to be built up yourself. If you're going to start giving to others, you've got to get something to give them. In other words, you set yourself up for a fall. And you know, that happens. You begin to see people that, that mean well, and then they turn to the bottle or to drugs or to uh, sex, sex addicts or whatever because what they've done, they've gotten a place, I give, give. I need, I need some for me now. You see, I need some for myself. So what you do you, when you just give, give, but you've not received, then you try to fill the void within your life as a result of expending yourself with all kind of other things. That really work against your position and posture as being who God has called you to be. So now, 
Look at what happens here. So he says, so you got to be built up. So now the word of his grace builds you up. It builds you up, is able to build you up, and to give you, but not only build you up, that to prepare you for what God has promised you in the future. He said, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you an inheritance. He said, you inherited something. You know what inheritance is? Somebody left me something. You see, somebody that leave you something of value, of worth, and, and, and all that they worked for, all that they strived for, I don't have to work for it. I receive it as an inheritance. Give me my inheritance. Remember the prodigal son? Give me what's due to me. Before, because when you die, you get it. But he says, this inheritance is ours because Jesus Christ died. So all, that he, all that's his become ours. He said, I'll give you an inheritance and he says, among all of those who are sanctified. So when you're sanctified, you receive the inheritance of God through Jesus Christ. That which God, through Christ, that which belongs to Christ becomes yours. He said, you have an inheritance. And, and, and how are we doing? Two minutes? Okay. Let's take those two. <laughs> and then Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. No, let's, go, let, let's, let's do this one since we... Uh, Acts chapter 26 and verse 18, it says, this is what Paul began to talk about his ministry. He said, when he's testifying before King Agrippa, he said, what is it all about? He said, I want, I, I, I've given this. He said, God has given me whatever he's given me. So to open their eyes in order to turn them, to turn them from darkness to light, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. I want to turn them from darkness to light because right now they're moving in this direction, darkness, and their eyes and their heart, their souls are fixed upon darkness. You see, they can relate. They strain when the light shines because you think about it when you walk in darkness and then the light shines, your eyes squinting and you say, it's too much light. He says, so what happens, he says, I will turn them from darkness to light. And from the power that they had grown, that they were always accustomed to, the power of Satan to God, he said that they may receive, that same thing we talked about earlier, an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then they can't even receive the inheritance until they turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Then they get that inheritance that God has promised so this is all about sanctification, sanctification, sanctification. And, and, and then he tells us how to be sanctified. First Timothy 4 and 1, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. I want you to hear this warning. Some will depart from not faith. We mentioned there is faith and the faith. Not all faith leads to salvation, but they depart from the faith. And when they depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits, spirits of deception. Now, it can't be deception unless it looked like it's real. Nothing, if it, look, if it doesn't look real, if it's not, if, if it doesn't appeal to you, then it can't be deception, but it has to have a strong appeal to deceive you. You can't fool me. You can't fool me and tell me this is gold and diamonds. 
because diamond and gold ain't that flexible, you see. But, but, but you can fool me if you put a fake piece that looked just like it's real, you see. He says, but understand what happens. He says, deceiving spirits out there, doctrines of demons, doctrines of demons, fallen angels, demons, he says, speaking lies in hypocrisy. Listen to this now. In hypocrisy, to fool you to believe that they are real, but the truth of the matter is they have an ulterior motive. There's something ulterior. They're doing some things behind the scenes. I watch these magic, magic shows, and I try to look real close at them. I said, now, nah, let me see. I'm going to see where the slight of the hand is. A lot of times, I can't pick it up. Yeah, I can't pick it up. But they know that the whole thing is that they're fooling you. And don't ever think that we can't be fooled. We can't be fooled. The only thing that can keep us from being fooled is the Holy Spirit giving us discernment. Now, look at here. Look at this. Lying hypocrisy, having their conscience, we mentioned about the conscience, seared with a hot iron so that they become past feeling. They no longer are sensitized to the things of God. And then forbidding to marry, they become people that's uh, uh, withdrawn from certain things, forbidding to marry, and commanding, commanding to abstain from foods which God has created to be received with thanksgiving. He says, so what happens? Then they put more prohibitions upon you than you would have otherwise. Things that God did not uh, prohibit. But then there are those that give more leisure and luxury and and, and, and license than ought to be given. So both sides of the thing. There are those on one side said, well, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. The other side said, thou shalt do, thou shalt do, thou shalt do, whatever you want to do. But both sides, you see, is, are deceptive. Both sides are deceptive. So only God can bring us to the place so that we're doing what he has to do. Now, he says here that these are the devils. So some abstaining from food, which God created uh, to receive with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. So God says, that which I have cleansed, let no one call unclean. That which God has cleansed, let no one call unclean. So, so what God is saying here to you on this Thanksgiving Eve, that he is bringing us to a place of appreciating the value of what he has imparted among the believers. There's one scripture I'll get to later on. And, and what happens, they're going to see, this is going to happen now. You grow in the things of God, and it's going to provoke many to jealousy. What I mean by that is not that you are exclusive in any of this, but they're going to say, I want what you, I mean, I wish I had what you had. I wish I had it that way. And some will become enemies because of that. Oh, you're just goody two-shoes. You see, this is so unreal. This is just beyond what we can do or what we could even believe to do. There'll be those that would take that kind of attitude. And then there'll be those, and, and don't even worry about that because it's a persecution of the saints. Then there'll be those that will say, uh, you know what? Even though I don't like you because 
you, you're all that. You think you're all that. You, not that you really think that. You, you think you're all that bag of chips. But you maintain your humility and watch what happens. Then there are those who say, I, I really want what you have. Could you tell us the way to salvation? Could you point us in the right direction? You see, there'll be those on both sides. Some will despise you, but sometimes even those that despise you, if you don't hate them because they hate you, but you're loving towards them, will come back and say, you know what? I saw, <laughs> I got a friend. So I, some of y'all know what I'm talking about, but, and I hope you don't, but he's a good friend of mine. He, he was my enemy. He was my, he, he just didn't like me. He didn't like me at all. And, uh, uh, oh, man, he cussed me out, and uh, I tell you too much, y'all know too much, but he cussed me out, called me everything but a child of God and everything else, and what I do, I just smile at him, I just smile at him, and whenever he get in trouble, I write there for him and ministering to him, whatever. I say, I hear y'all, I hear y'all, I'll pick it up on him. He, he would do all that to me, but I just minister to him still. I send him tapes and give him books and everything else, and, and then eventually he came around. He said, that, that's a man of God here. That's a man of God. He said, this is a man of God. And I said, I know why you say I'm a man of God, because I didn't cuss you back. <laughs> I didn't cuss you back. I said, I had to take some stuff in order to bring you. And sure enough, throughout his life, you see, it was, it was the, the, the not retaliating that brought him to a place of respecting. And, and, and before he died, I said, I, I, I ministered salvation to him. Before he transitioned, I ministered salvation to him. And, and you see what happens? So, so, so that's what we're saying here. They will despise you, but you've got to watch your attitude. If you think you're holier than thou, then that's going to also be projected to those you minister to. But if you're humble and you say, because of Christ, I am who I am, because of his grace upon my life, because if it had not been his grace, I'd be, out there, I'd be out there cussing and doing all the other stuff I was doing beforehand too. In, in fact, in fact here, here's what God has shown me. I can see why you cuss me out. Because I rub you the wrong way. I know it. <laughs> but guess what? I'm going to keep on rubbing you the wrong way because I see in you more than you see in yourself. I'm just going to shut it down because I'm about to get into it. <laughs> but Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Being concerned about us, and Lord, and dealing with specifics, details that we in and of ourselves would overlook. We didn't even know that those things were there until you brought them to our attention. So this morning, Lord, we give you thanks for who you are and all that you provided. But then, Lord, I thank you for your saints. Thank you for the people because they helped make me who I am becoming. They're helping me become who I'm becoming. Thank you, Lord, for those that receive and those that don't receive. The people, Lord, that's open to you and those that even reject me because I want to see it even as Paul did. He says, even the things that happen are for the furtherance of the gospel. May I always be knowledgeable of that, that even the temptations that come, they are there for me to overcome. So with that, 
I see your strength manifesting even in my weaknesses. So I give you the honor, I give you the praise, and I give you all the glory. In Jesus' name.